Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries and founder of the Christian Economic Forum. This podcast is devoted to sharing the wisdom and insights of global leaders, bringing God-inspired solutions to the world's greatest challenges. Our guest on the podcast today is Dr. Robbie Sonderegger. He holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and is a leading expert in mental health. Today, we cover important issues and tips surrounding anxiety, depression, burnout, sleep hygiene, marriage, and even suicide, which have all been on the rise during the pandemic. I'm confident this podcast will not only help you, but those you love as well. Dr. Robbie is a highly sought-after, dynamic, compelling keynote speaker, having presented to more than 1.5 million people in over 25 countries for the past 10 years. He's the founder of the Australian Institute of Clinical Psychology and is the CEO of the Family Challenge Australia Oxygen Institute, Switzerland, which is developing innovative mental health service delivery models. Well, Dr. Robbie, it's so good to have you today. I, it's morning for me and evening for you. I hope we're not calling too late. Not at all. Any time is a good time. <laughs> well, tell us where you are, uh, what part of Australia are you in, and how long have you been uh, shut in? We call it shut in here. Some call it lockdown. How long have you been locked down, and, and how are you doing? So thanks uh, for having me, Chuck. Um, I'm in Queensland, Australia at the moment. So I have uh, not so long ago got out of uh, 14 days of quarantine, having returned back from Europe um, on one of the last flights when airplanes were still flying. And uh, so that that really was defined as complete shut-in, um, so isolated from from family. And, um, and so it was an interesting time, um, but really, really profitable and valuable, valuable time of the Lord and valuable work time, like almost like being in a productivity bubble. Um, but here in Queensland, look, if there is ever a place to uh, to get stuck, this is a great place. And fortunately, the restrictions out here in Australia haven't been uh, as severe as some of the other places around the world. So we're still free to uh, exit the home and, uh, and exercise. Um, and you can exercise with somebody else for safety. And that includes going to the beach or going to the park. And so, uh, so it's been actually a nice relaxing time of sorts. Um, not, 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 not the same as, uh, as other people around the world. So, uh, so I'm seeing her on the media. So you had 14 days of quarantine when you arrived in Australia. Did that happen in your own home? Yes, uh, fortunately, my wife. She is an amazing uh, trooper. She uh, handled the five children uh, by herself, and uh, and 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 not only that, but I'd been away in Europe for a number of weeks prior to that, and so she uh, she isolated me upstairs. Um, we've got a little um, kind of a wing upstairs where she put a fridge and a toaster. So I had my own food and my <laughs> my own uh, computer, and uh, so I was I was I was in a little a little bubble and could wave to the kids from a distance from above. So, so it was nice. And, and, you know, thank God for my wife. I don't know what I'd do without her. She's amazing. Have you been able to conduct your business and, and provide the same um, level of activity and services normal for you? Or have you uh, experienced any uh, impact to your, uh, have you, has your business been interrupted? Well, Chuck, I don't know that there is such a thing as normal anymore. And, you know, people are talking about the new normal and, uh, and certainly it's been very busy. Um, uh, been, you know, doing 
certain interviews around the world with various different ministry leaders and and uh, people asking how do we actually cope with the fallout of, of COVID, not necessarily the illness itself, but but uh, everything that goes then with it. And uh, so it's been very busy. But, you know, for, for a living, I travel the world and, uh, and speak in conferences. And so uh, needless to say, there's no travel and there's no conferences. So my world has come to a, a screeching halt on the one hand and on on the other, it has taken up uh, a, a brand new era of online flurry. I suppose you could say a flurry of activity um, as we're trying to do our very best to uh, to provide good quality education for people who might be struggling in various different areas as a result of this global pandemic. Well, you are loved among the CEF community, and we ask you to join us uh, late this evening, your time, just to help and encourage those who are experiencing possibly new levels of anxiety or emotional issues. It's really been a fusion of a number of things. We've, we've got, a, obviously, a concern about our health. Uh, that creates some anxiety because it is uh, somewhat deadly to uh, be exposed to this, especially for certain groups of people. We're experiencing anxiety from isolation for those who are extroverted and need community more than others. It's been very difficult for them. Uh, and we're also having economic fears layered into that. So there's a fusion of issues that have come together. I think for most people, they've never had to deal with it. Uh, are you seeing different psychological and emotional impact uh, that this is having on people? Uh, what kind of questions are you getting and what kind of advice are you giving to people who are learning to navigate all of these things at the same time? Great question, Chuck. And look, we consult largely with uh, church leaders and organization leaders or ministry leaders. And and the questions that have been coming in have actually evolved over the last number of weeks. It initially started out with the uh, the concern of what's this going to do or what's the impact going to have on our economy and, and the long-term uh, effects on, for example, churches and, and businesses. And, and of course, there are legitimate but what if questions. People are losing their jobs, people's businesses are going into decline or if not into receivership. And uh, But in recent uh, days or if not, you know, the last couple of weeks, the questions have more evolved into the relational side of things because so many families have been uh, living in and out of each other's pockets 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It presents a, a whole set of brand new challenges and with kids no longer at school and, and potentially being homeschooled and um, it brings to the fore a whole variety of stresses. And, and if there were issues that hadn't yet previously been dealt with and uh, due to the busyness of life, we were able to just brush them under the carpet because, hey, I've got to get to work and we've got business issues and got to get the kids to school and all the rest. So we're just able to sweep it under the carpet. Well, now we've swept so much stuff under the carpet that there's a big bulge under the carpet. We'll be tripping over that um, in our relationships. And so we've got um, alarming levels of domestic violence being reported. Um, we've got uh, spikes in suicide rates uh, being reported. And so the the family dynamic is is certainly alarming. So we've heard uh, one statistic of when Wuhan eventually uh, came out of their lockdown, um, the divorce court saw a 40% spike in divorce applications um, of couples coming out of, uh, of quarantine or out of, uh, you know, home isolation. And so, uh, so we've got a whole variety of different challenges that we are having to contend with. 
Well, I want to narrow down to those that I think are specific to the audience that you and I will be addressing today. And let's just start with generalized anxiety, where we have a challenge to deal with so much uncertainty. Uh, there's a gap where we don't know the future. We, we have data we are not sure we can rely upon. Forecasting is out the window. Planning is on hold. All of the things that we traditionally do to minimize our uncertainty we don't have those same levers, those same tools. So how do you recommend people deal with just generalized heightened anxiety right now? Um, well, it's a great thing to have a bit of self-reflection in this time where we have uh, less busyness necess- oh, you know, in the traditional form um, in terms of going off to work. And, and as we self-reflect, to actually review what are the kinds of questions that I'm asking myself, it's, it's in these times that we discover our brain you know, no pun intended, almost has like a bit of a mind of its own. It has its own subconscious dialogue. And sometimes we're not even aware of the conversation that's taking place in between our ears. And if you actually stop and pay attention, um, you'll notice that at the beginning, there'll be a lot of what questions. Okay. So what, what if this happens? You know, what, what if the business goes into receivership or what if we lose the house? Um, what if we, you know, lose auntie Mary, all of these, but what if questions are relevant, but then they try transition or mutate into the why questions. Why did the government do this? Or why did God allow this? And and these why questions, because they're futuristic in orientation, in other words, we don't yet have the answers. And even if we did have the answers, the answers are not going to be satisfactory to us um, in this uncertain time. And so we need to learn how to transition our what and why questions, which ultimately just exacerbate worry. Um, They're like a mouse on a treadmill going around and around, making lots of motion, but no progress. So we'll typically have these thoughts on our mind or these questions as we're going to bed. We might've been talking about it with our loved ones. You know, what if we lose the house? What if we do all with all speculating um, what might happen, anticipating negative events in the future. Then we'll dream about these questions or these thoughts all night long. And then sure enough, we'll wake up in the morning and slap to the forefront of our mind are the very same questions. So in psychology, we call these sticky thoughts. We just can't seem to shake them out of our heads and they come automatically. So another way of referring to them is ANTS, A-N-T-S, automatic negative thoughts. They're intrusive and they're unwelcome and they're unhelpful in this particular scenario. It only serves to exacerbate our anxiety. So a really great thing to do is transition intentionally our questions away from the what and the why and more towards the who and the how. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all I can ask or imagine, you know? And how is this going to pan out from a God filter perspective? And when we balance out our questions, it brings a level of peace to our mind. Yeah, that's great. I've experienced those ants for sure. <laughs> so I can relate to that. A lot of ants. I feel like that my brain must be honey attracting those ants. Uh, our board has recently discussed this with me, uh, Robbie, and I didn't get you prepared for this one, but they asked me to watch for signs of burnout among our staff. We are working exceptionally hard and long hours during this time. We we have gone into overdrive. There's a paradox where we're sequestered at home. We're not in our office. We've been remotely working for the last six weeks, but we're working almost uh, nonstop. The, the demands are coming uh, quickly and we are moving quickly. And so the board uh, said, be careful about burnout during this time. 
Do you see uh, burnout becoming a challenge for people as this is prolonged? And what do we watch for and how do we deal with that? Great question, Chuck. Look, you know, everyone experiences a certain level of stress and stress is not necessarily a bad thing. And even though we might be working um, uh, harder or we're busier than we've been uh, before, that also is not necessarily a bad thing. It really will vary from person to person depending on their capacity. So one of the signs to look out for that a person's stress may be mutating into distress, um, verging on the on the dizzy edge of burnout, is that usually sleep is the first telltale sign. So if we have trouble, difficulty falling asleep, you know, tossing and turning with our mind racing, as we said before, before, a little bit like the mouse on the treadwheel, we'll, we'll, we'll probably have difficulty getting comfortable, you know, be too hot, then too cold, then, you know, the pillow's too fat and then too thin. And if we have difficulty falling asleep, so onset insomnia, um, that's a telltale sign that that anxiety is, is knocking at the door. Uh, we might also have, have an occasion where we'll wake up in the middle of the night and then have difficulty getting back to sleep, you know, taking extended periods of time, you know, tossing and turning for an hour in the middle of the night. And the last one is, of course, waking up exceptionally early in the morning and not being able to get back to sleep, which is one of the telltale signs of, of depression. And anxiety and depression doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm, I'm having sleep issues, therefore I've got a diagnosis. But but these symptoms, these anxiety and depressive style symptoms are often indicative of burnout. So when my stress is starting to become distress, sleep is usually the first warning sign. So you can think of it like a flashing red light on the dashboard of your car. It's usually not just telling you, you know, hey, I'm, I'm loving this song, I'm dancing in time of the music. And, and it's not telling you panic. It's saying here is something not quite right. And if you want to keep traveling well on the highway, you need to take action. And so in the same way, our body's just providing us with natural, normal body signals saying, hey, if you want to keep going at this rate, you need to take action. There's certain steps that need to be required in order to in order for us to keep up this pace what action helps people to sleep better uh, apart from you know medication and things that are unhealthy for us do you have some advice for helping people to sleep better i've experienced a number of the things you've just described i find myself uh, waking up very early uh, much earlier than normal and being wide awake and sort of processing the same things that i was thinking about when i went to sleep uh, what actions should we be taking to help us with sleep? Well, your question, Chuck, is actually well positioned because you're asking, how do we sleep better? And that's the key. It's not necessarily sleeping longer, but it's improving the quality, not necessarily the quantity of our sleep. So we call it sleep hygiene. And uh, and so going to bed at a regular time uh, every night, so just training your body. Okay, this is my switch off time. I'm going to have to put some effective boundaries around when I stop and I'm going to have a wind up period and a, or a wind down period before going to bed. Um, I'm sleeping in a dry, cool, dark, undisturbed room. Uh, I'm going to be trying to wake up at a particular uh, time in the morning. And irrespective of how I slept, I'm going to try and keep this pattern, this rhythm. So if I had a terrible night's sleep, I'm not going to the next afternoon go, you know, I need a cat nap in order to try and catch up. No, I'm going to discipline myself to keep this rhythm so I can train my circadian rhythm that this is the sleep cycle. And then of course, that one of the best things 
things to be able to improve sleep is exercise during the day. And I know it's like the, the golden ticket for almost everything in life. And it's the last thing that anyone, anybody wants to hear. But the truth of the matter is when we're stressed, our body is producing glucocorticoids or more commonly referred to as cortisol. It's our stress hormone. And this glucose, like the term glucocorticoid suggests, this glucose goes to the edges of our muscles, giving us the sugar or the energy to respond to the stress that we are facing. But if we don't burn it up through vigorous exercise or through great quality sleep, which is the second way in which we disperse the stress hormones from our body, well, it leads to a certain type of toxic fat that leads to weight gain, aging, psychiatric illness, and degenerative disease, all of the good things that we <laughs> don't want in our lives. And so exercise is like an absolute must whenever we are stressed in order to deal effectively with those stress hormones. Good sleep, good exercise. Uh, I need both of those. One of the things that I'm doing to take action, Dr. Robbie, is I've, I've become a, a reader of history. I, I avidly read about history. And I find that reading history at night, not online where I've got screen time, but actually holding a book, turns off the thoughts of the day because it takes my mind out of the present and into the past. And uh, it's really been an effective strategy is just reading about the past so that my mind isn't fixated on the future. And It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I, I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head there because there's a, there's a hidden secret, a little unknown gem, and that is when you're reading a book as opposed to having your eyes fixed on a screen um, uh, before going to bed, your eyes are moving and the eyes are attached to um, the pituitary and the pineal gland, and, and, and these are responsible for secreting the important neurochemicals and sleep hormones. And so it actually, reading before going to bed, helps your sleep. And not only that, but if you don't want to step on the snake that's going to bite you with these you know, toxic thoughts all night long, well, stay out of the grass. Stay away from the news media before going to bed. Don't stay away from social media. To stay away from any kind of media for that matter. Don't binge watch you know, series after series trying to take your mind off the work of the day because that just puts your mind in a different realm where once again, it might trigger those exacerbated thoughts. And so reading, man, you could be a psychologist, Chuck. <laughs> I'm sure you were ready for that line, Dr. Ravi. <laughs> you you have all kinds of people offering uh, advice when they're interviewing you, I'm sure. And you, you're welcome to shoot down my advice. Let me just give you permission for that. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, good exercise, good sleep hygiene, uh, both very key. Another one is diet. And uh, you mentioned sugar in the what the body needs to burn off. But I find that I've got a different form of COVID-19, not to make light of it, but I've, I've heard it said I've got the COVID-19 pounds that I think I've gained as a result of being home and eating too much. Uh, and especially my sugar intake has been up. I'm normally pretty disciplined about that, but I think that I'm turning to sugar much more often now as a form of hoping to relieve some anxiety, but it's not working. It's actually making it uh, I think is increasing my anxiety. Uh, how do you deal with a healthy diet during this time? Great question. And people respond in different ways. You know, sometimes when people are stressed, they lose their diet or their appetite altogether. Uh, whereas others, you know, seek out food as a form of, of comfort. But when we're stressed, you know, our brain, it, uh, it only weighs 2% of our entire body's weight, but it consumes one fifth or 20% of our body's entire energy. And so when we're working harder than we've ever worked before, but it's not necessarily physical work, um, 
um, but rather mental work, well, our body is burning through the, the glucose. And, the, and so if it, if it can get a sugar hit in any which way for a pick-me-up for a little bit more energy, um, it will steer you well and truly in that direction. But the only problem is that when we consume the sugar, it's a little bit like putting hay on a fire. There's an immediate roar of flame and warmth that just as quickly as it came, it burns out again and, uh, and oftentimes kills the fire, leaving us more uh, fatigued than what we were before the, before the flame was, uh, was sparked up again through the sugar. And so, yes, avoiding sugar at all costs because it, it, it you know, triggers the, the sympathetic uh, nervous system, which is the go, go, go pedal that keeps us going. And we want to actually chill out a little bit. And so to change our diet up a little bit, really great um, things that, that, that you can consume are, uh, are, are food sources that have tryptophan um, in it. So any kind of poultry, for example, uh, has this amino acid tryptophan, which converts itself into serotonin. Serotonin is our well-being chemical, um, important for not only sleep and, and, and mood, but also it regulates our appetite. So if we're, if we're eating healthy, balanced diet, we don't actually crave all of that sugar. And so, and if you're a vegetarian, well, that you can get the same thing in, in, uh, in walnuts and uh, in tofu and various other things as well, uh, but just in, in certainly in lesser amounts. And to add to, to, to the diet, there's actually a few variety, a variety of different uh, factors. We, we call them the mental health pillars. And so, yes, of course, sleep and exercise and diet, but then also um, sunshine, socialization, um, uh, understanding, creating meaning out of this mess or finding purpose in the pain and, and, uh, and of course, regulating, regulating our mind, mastering our mind, gaining control over those wayward thoughts. Yeah, that's great, Dr. Robbie. Do you have a personal practice when it comes to exercise and when it comes to sleep hygiene and maybe even diet? Do you Are you disciplined in those areas of your life? Rigorously disciplined, um, as much as a person who travels the world can be. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm constantly jet lagged uh, as a result of being in different time zones uh, on a frequent basis. Um, but I absolutely refuse to take sleeping medication. Um, I've just seen too many leaders around the world um, burn themselves out because they have, you know, been in a different time zone, can't sleep due to jet lag, circadian rhythm is upside down, and so look, I'll just take a sleeping tablet to knock me out. And it knocks you out, but it doesn't send you down to the deep layers of sleep, which expels the stress hormones from your body. And so we end up with a buildup of the toxic stress hormones. And, uh, and over time, if I go back to my you know, land of origin, well, I'm, I'm upside down again, so I'll take those sleeping medications. And then after a while, I become quickly dependent. And it's a, such a slippery slope. It's only a matter of time before I'll be on anti-anxiety or antidepressant medication because cortisol or glucocorticoids is the number one hormone that is related to the physiology of anxiety and depression. And it all came from not regulating sleep. And so when it comes to sleep, I have an absolute, you know, almost obsessive discipline around making sure I get good quality sleep. And there are natural ways in which you can boost your sleep as well. And one of the greatest discoveries is magnolia bark extract, uh, not to necessarily, you know, you know, give, give, you know, dietary advice, but, you know, go ahead and research. This is an amazing discovery, uh, a natural substance that's, that lowers our cortisol. So it doesn't put you to sleep, 
but it keeps you asleep. It suppresses your cortisol, regulates your cortisol while sleeping, and so that you can have a thorough good night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed naturally without the aid of chemical additives. Wow, that's fantastic. I, I, I was really tuned in on that part of your answer because I've experienced the same thing. I've traveled the world for almost 20 years. I'm in different time zones constantly. And a couple of things that I had to do personally, one is I had to eliminate caffeine from my diet because I was struggling. I was caffeinating to stay awake, and then that would keep me from going to sleep, and I would wake up and caffeinate more. And so I got into that vicious cycle. I refused to take medicine. In fact, you reminded me of a story. I was traveling with a friend who, who would take sleeping pills, and uh, he would. we would go to bed when we'd arrived at a new country, and uh, I would sleep five hours, and I would ask him how he slept because he took the pill and I didn't, and he would say, wow, I got five hours of sleep. And there, there was no difference. I, I was like, oh, well, I got five hours of sleep too. Uh, and uh, the pill wasn't uh, doing the, having the effect that he was hoping for. And eventually he weaned himself off of that practice. But I think getting off caffeine has been really helpful to me just to uh, allow my body to, to regulate itself. Uh, so thank you for that advice. Uh, it's been really, really important, I think, for people who travel a lot and probably for those who are about to gear up again for more and more travel. One of the things I want to transition to is the statistic that I read recently. This is an American statistic, and we're talking to a global audience. But in America, one in eight people report that their relationship is on the rocks. It's not uh, distressed. It's in high distress. In other words, it might not make it. And it's due to the fact that they've been uh, together more than uh, in the past, and they haven't dealt with that very well. Do you have any advice for marriages right now, Dr. Robbie? Yeah, for sure. Um, but unfortunately, there's no quick fix. There's no, you know, 30 second answer that you can give to be able to say, here's the the magic wand or the pill or the, you know, the treatment um, when there are ingrained habits that no doubt have been developed over years. Well, oftentimes, you know, if it take took a, t- took a while to, to develop it, it, it takes a little bit of time to undo it. However, the process um, of starting the journey could be as simple as stopping talking, stopping arguing, stopping with all of the fighting and the nagging because we know that, look, fighting is not necessarily bad, but it's the way in which we fight that matters. And all too often our arguments are about absolutely nothing. And so when, you know, the couple's getting divorced or, or surveyed and interviewed, you know, what, what was the thing? What was the catalyst that you would fight about? You know, they'd reflect and go, actually, actually it was really trivial, stupid stuff. And so so we just get into these habitual patterns of, of not being um, cared for, heard, heard properly, um, validate whatever it might be and to so stop with the discussion and start to pray together research shows that when couples commit to praying together on a daily basis the divorce rate which is commonly cited in the western world as being 50 percent drops to a minuscule 0.0008 percent now most people listening to this should be pretty good with numbers uh, but uh, if you're not z- any number that has a zero followed by a decimal and then three zeros before the number is in other words zero so that one piece of information you do nothing else but commit to praying together out loud with each other for each other on a nightly basis don't discuss your problems just yet just involve the holy spirit and a triple bound gourd is not easily broken 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so, so very important to pray together. That's one of our habits. That's something that we don't neglect. We, My wife and I walk every day. We try to walk outside together every day and get the sunshine and the exercise. But we also pray aloud while we're walking. And that that actually is more effective for us. It, it Somehow, when we're walking, we we feel more freedom to pray. We pray spontaneously. We go back and forth. We take turns. It's just a little more natural than having a set prayer time. And then we do so before bed every night. And uh, that's been super helpful to us. Fantastic. Also, I would, just, I would just mention that there's a verse that comes to mind when I think about marriages that are troubled right now, Dr. Robbie. Uh, it's in uh, Proverbs 12, I think it's 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. And I have experienced that being so effective for me when my wife speaks a kind word to me during this during my stress. I think there's times where she can see it rising. She can read me uh, very easily. My body language is not good. Or I've been in, uh, you know, eight hours of these Zoom conference calls and uh, suddenly I see a little uh, a plate of food next to my computer that she slips in quietly that some of my favorite uh, treats or a, uh, one of my favorite uh, refreshments, you know, just a, uh, something that she knows I would enjoy having. And she's just been so helpful at cheering me up. And I've just been so grateful for her. So for those who are listening to us, it it helps to be proactive to to just share a kind word with your spouse, uh, either direction, whether husband to wife or wife to husband. It's been so meaningful to to bring down the anxiety in our home. That's so good. What I, I love your wife. She's amazing. That's that's so beautiful. That's what a beautiful thing. Uh, and I love that you're actually transparent and uh, and leading by example. And I think that ministry leaders and business leaders around the world, that's one of the greatest things that they can actually do for their coworkers to be able to say, you know, hey, this is this is what I do. Um, uh, you know, follow suit, check it out, give it a go, see what do you got to lose. I've had people call me saying that their greatest stress right now is their marriage because they've never been home so long for so many days in a row. And and that's actually true for me. I have never been home in my 42 years of marriage this many consecutive days. I'm, I'm not going into an office. I'm not taking any trips. Uh, I'm not having outside appointments. I am just home constantly. And uh, we were a little worried about that. Uh, and and yet it's turned out to be a very good thing for us. And I want to encourage those who are struggling. Uh, I really like your advice, Dr. Robbie, that it's not going to be over instantly, uh, but praying together is just such an important thing. It is. And it can be the best of times or it can be the worst of times. But I love what you said before. If we are intentional, intentionality being the key in the same way that we have to be intentional with the questions that we ask or or the thoughts that we allow our mind to think, you know, laying hold every thought captive. If we're intentional with one another, as opposed to just always reacting and then re-reacting with a core fear being triggered and then reacting to that core fear and then just bouncing, doing the core fear dance off of one another intentionality, especially with a degree of kindness, goes a long way. You know, what does the proverb say? It is by wisdom that a house is built through understanding and knowledge, foundations and treasures. You know, a great, great advice, Chuck. Well, you have the front row seat on what's happening around the world because of your travels, because of your 
speaking engagements, and I think particularly because of the nature of the work that you do, you're able to observe trends in society and really how people are reacting. A lot of question around what's going to be different going forward. What do you see that this pandemic will actually change about the world? Uh, What will remain? Uh, And what do you see we'll take forward with us that will actually accelerate? Have you noticed some of those trends? Yeah, I look at we see various different things, but it's hard to anticipate what will stick and and what will fade. And certainly, I'm no futurist, but but I've got plenty of hopes. And uh, and one of my hopes is that we we end up being a little less narcissistic and a little bit more caring. And rather than just going through the motions of life in whatever vein, whether that be business or, or church or just you know our daily you know social media posts that that kind of revolve around us that in this time we actually get to stop and and also be mindful of how others might be going um, others who are even perhaps more socially isolated than than we are because they might be in an extra vulnerable category and so they're not able to you know have family around or those who don't even have family in the first place and they're stuck at home you know we we talk about the the battering ram of you know husbands and wives um, going through the motions of being in each other's pockets but what about the person who doesn't have access um, um, and if I can be mindful of them and, and reach out and engage them also in this time, then maybe that could carry over after this is um, you know done with, uh, once we get let out of the cage, so to speak, that I would continue to take the focus off of myself and extend care, kindness, consideration, compassion um, to the needs, the life of other people as well. Have you seen any best practices for how leaders are taking care of, say, their, their staff their family, or even themselves during this time? Well, like we said before, modeling is indeed the golden ticket um, to helping staff and being transparent as part of that process to be able to sit down and go, hey, here's the lay of the land because, you know, chances are staff members are are potentially anxious. You know, do I still have a job after this is all over or what, what's, what's the economic climate going to do? And, and if it doesn't recover or if it takes a year or two to recover, what does that mean for my own career prospects? And to be able to just sit down and, and, and be transparent transparent with with staff members and and talk through or brainstorm together um, to be able to say what are the innovative ways in which we can move forward together and because there's that transparency but also that leadership through modeling these are the concerns that I have but 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 also modeling a level of calm so that the slower we go the faster we get there. There's no rash decisions being made when I'm, you know, hyper-stressed because the more emotional we get, the less intelligent we are. And so we need to dial back the emotion and actually consider it from a calm, logical, rational perspective. And when we have uh, unity in a team, hey, that just changes everything. That can be a total game changer for the organization as everyone pitches in to be able to go, come on, charge, we've got this. This is our time to shine. And I see that in churches. So while there might have been an initial angst of, you know, oh no, you know, people aren't coming to church. That's mean that they're not going to, you know, they're going to disconnect. Maybe they won't come back to church. Maybe everyone's going to watch the, the mega churches on online that already have a great online platform. Maybe they'll stop giving. That'll affect the future of the church in different ways. 
what we've seen is actually the reverse in, in some places around the world, especially, you know, churches in places of Asia, in like places like Taiwan, which are close to the epicenter in China. Um, they're seeing record uh, numbers of attendance online, record salvations, record giving, and record community connection. As the church gets broken up into um, sixes, fours, twos, where people are connecting with each other. It's almost like, you know, the early church, um, going back to, to the way in which the church started, uh, a couple of thousand years ago, it's, uh, it's, it's Bitcoin for church or blockchain for church, breaking it up into small little bits, dispersing it. No one can control it. And, uh, and it has a health or a life all to itself. Oh, that's such a great report. Such an encouraging report. I read in the United States that, uh, Bible sales are increasing rapidly, that more and more people are actually buying a Bible, an indication that they're sensing that we are dependent on on the Lord. We're dependent on uh, God for times like these, which is hopefully one of the things that we'll take forward. I want to transition just to a, a, a question off of our own personal uh, mental health, our personal issues. I know you've done a lot of work with refugees throughout your career. Are, are you... Uh, dealing with any refugee centers right now, Dr. Robbie, and what kind of impact is this pandemic having in those centers where refugees are are having to to learn how to cope right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think refugees often get um, left out in the in the dark corners um, and often get overlooked at, at a time like this when we're so focused on on our own immediate needs. And so, yes, well, look, we're in touch with um, various different um, agencies around the world who are working in different uh, zones. And, and look, you can't necessarily classify a refugee or lump them all into one basket because you know we've got internally displaced refugees uh, in places um, like. Uganda, northern Uganda, from from Sudan and from from yeah Congo, and and then also in the Middle East and in northern Iraq, and and then you've got the refugees that are heading you know who have headed across to, to to Western Europe, and and they're different demographics, and so they're varying in different ways. And one of the great things, one of the positive sides of this is that um, even though we might think oh well the conditions are terrible uh, for refugees, they'll be so you know tightly packed and you know hygienic or, you know, lack of sanitary conditions. Um, but because uh, a lot of the refugees uh, in particular who went across to Western Europe from the Middle East, um, the broad majority are young, healthy men um, who were working back in their own home country who could afford the price to, to, to pay the people smugglers to get them across. And so they're actually in a category or a class of people who are less vulnerable uh, to COVID. And because they're already unemployed, um, that they're in the same status if you will. The downside or the flip side is that at a time when there's a, a, a crisis for our nations, an economic crisis as well, 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 you know, funding or aid funding gets a bit of a back seat. And so prospects become increasingly grim for various different places around the world. And, and indeed, we're already hearing reports now that we could have um, uh, kind of epidemics that, that are not just, you know, like the ones that we're experiencing now, but we're talking about famine of biblical proportions uh, as a result of of, of you know of long-term effects of, of aid being redirected to other places and uh, 
And so, uh, so certainly our thoughts and our prayers are, are with those people. But it doesn't, it's not all bad news. And that's the upside, that there are plenty, there's plenty of great testimonies as well. And I was just even just talking to one person not so long ago, um, as, as we have obviously great testing capacity in our Western nations, and we've got great hospitals. And so, you know, our thoughts, of course, turn to not just refugees, but the developing world where perhaps they don't have such infrastructure. But on the flip side, I don't know if you even, can even call it a silver lining, but in many nations in Africa, you know, 50% of the population is under 15. And so we've got a category of people, once again, who are relatively, um, you know, unaffected by, by Corona. And, um, and so, so hopefully um, this is actually an opportunity for Africa to step up and, uh, and, and, you know, their time to shine. Who knows? Well, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Well, thank you for that good report and all the great work that you've done through the years helping refugees. You've certainly highlighted in my life the the poignant need that they have, and I've watched some of the work that you've reported on, some of the phenomenal results, and it's just so very encouraging that people like you are taking an active role in those areas. The one thing that I want to transition to is the topic of suicide before we close. The reason I do is because I was listening to a, a pastor uh, shared the other day that he had uh, he openly said he had had overwhelming thoughts of suicide for no apparent reason. Uh, it wasn't uh, because of pressure. It wasn't necessarily because of anxiety or depression. He just felt like he was coming under a deep spiritual attack. Uh, just out of the blue, these thoughts of taking his own life. And I, I mentioned on an earlier podcast that I have had uh, a number of friends who took their life through the years and the common denominator was a financial failure. And their identity was so tied into their finances that they, they felt shame and guilt and they'd let everyone down, they'd let down their employees, their, their family, uh, their own uh, self-esteem was, was injured. And, and most every one of them did not give a warning signal. They weren't giving any kind of clues outwardly to others around them that that was going to be a possibility. It came as a great shock and a surprise in most cases. But for for a person listening to us, Dr. Robbie, who's having irrational thoughts like that, what advice do you give them? Great question. And and look, there's there's two groups of people that really I'd love to talk with. And 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 the first is yes, of course, those individuals who who might be wrestling with such uh, thoughts themselves, but also those who are around. And as you said before, oftentimes there's no no clue, no sign or symptom. And so it behooves us to be able to reach out to somebody and just say, hey, are you okay? Like let's just check in with one another. Let's be uh, the hands and feet of of Jesus of the church, like in, in action to be able to be uh, cordial and sensitive and understanding and insightful and be discerning in that area. But look, if you are struggling, if this is something that you're wrestling with, um, the, the thing that we, we end up with is no hope. And hopelessness or, or actually having no hope is, is the final straw. It's when, when, when there's nothing to hold on for, um, then, then they're, they're, well, what's the point? But hopeless, when somebody says that they're feeling hopeless, it's not the same as having no hope. It just means that I have less hope. Hope is not something that necessarily we have or don't have. It's something that we can cultivate. In fact, it's a little bit like faith. We all have a measure of faith, and in the same way, we all have a measure of hope. In fact, faith is the 
the the substance of things hoped for and 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 when we can cultivate our hope it changes the trajectory and how do we do that what's the substance of things hoped for well research shows that if you believe not just in god but if you believe in a god who actually cares about you it's a total game changer so research has been conducted that shows that individuals who actively don't know why they're feeling the way they're feeling or don't know why this crisis or epidemic has transpired, why God allowed them to lose the building. Like, God, couldn't you, if you'd given me a warning sign that this was going to happen, I could have got myself out. I've got no answer to the question why. But if I can, as we said at the very beginning of our conversation, if I can start asking the question, who? Who is it that actively cares for me? I might not understand why, but this much I do know. If my heart is breaking, then God's heart must be breaking also. Why? Because he cares for me. And that allows me to transition into a third phase. So we've got hope, as number one, faith in a God who actually cares as number two. And the third one is, if God really does care, then I've got something to be grateful for. And gratitude both in good season and out of good seasons and in bad times as well. So in all times, being grateful, um, counting my blessings for the things that I do have is like an emotional reset button. It hijacks our brain and allows us to take back control over those dark, toxic thoughts. And it gives us one more opportunity, and that is to engage the fourth principle, which is to take the focus off ourselves and ask ourselves a little bit like what you said before with your wife, Chuck, how can I uh, do something good for somebody else? How can I be kind? What resources, gifts, opportunities, abilities do I have that I could be of blessing to somebody else? Because when I'm making a valuable contribution to the life of somebody else, well, value is the same as worth. And self-worth is the same as self-esteem. And self-esteem is the pathway to self-confidence. And the final characteristic of our five, these five characteristics that research has shown enables a person to grow through tragic circumstances and come out the other side even better off than what they were before the tragedy struck. And that is courage. So if I've got the, the, the courage now because I've taken the spotlight off myself, I've got the confidence and the courage to dust myself off, pick myself back up out of the gutter and go back into the fray, this five-step process, it's not just something that I can possess, but it's something that I can develop. It's something I can learn and cultivate in my life. Hope, faith, gratitude, kindness, and courage. Oh, that's so fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Robbie, and thank you for joining us tonight. I know that it's late for you. You've been going hard. We've asked you to work extra hard to work this late into the evening. Thank your wife and your five children for sharing you with us today. Also, for people who want to stay in touch with you, who want to learn more about your organization and how they can uh, avail uh, the resources and tools that you make available, how, how do people stay in touch with you? The best way is to go to peoplecare.global. Um, this is a, a brand new platform that's about to be launched. It's uh, it's the culmination of a three-year uh, working bee with experts around the world uh, in mental health uh, with a biblical worldview to equip and empower organizations, churches, and schools um, to know how to help 
people. And in fact, we're just about to launch next week a brand new special COVID um, trauma rehabilitation program called Empower that we've been using with hundreds of thousands of refugees around the world that we've just filmed brand new, an online special biblically centered edition um, for this tragic season that we find ourselves in where we might have lost loved ones or lost employment or lost business. And how do we, just like we said, how do we pick ourselves up and, uh, and, and get back on with the calling that God has? on our lives. And so that's going to be freely available uh, for any organization or church uh, in the coming weeks. So peoplecare.global would be a great resource for people to avail themselves of. Thank you so much, Dr. Robbie. God bless you, friend. All the best. God bless you too, Chuck. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. If you'd like to learn more about Crown, just visit online at crown.org.